We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik, and I'm joined by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Uh, <laughs> Would you uh, translate that for us? I'm tired. You're tired. Is, is is are you tired mostly because the voice is too long? Uh, that's part of the problem. There's a few things going on at once. But my school's on strike now, so I guess I'm gonna have some free time this week. Ah, <laughs> you thought you were gonna have free time. You're gonna be watching Lost. What oh up? crap! Yeah, that's happening, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Balls, 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 balls. See, but now we'll actually be able to intelligently discuss the finale as opposed to just. You know, me taking pot shots at it without having seen it. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, which actually transitions us rather nicely into the comments this week. We got some 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 great comments. Thank you guys so much. We heard from Mario, who is mid season two with Deadwood and loving it. So that's awesome. Way to go, uh, Mario. He is sticking out, uh, sticking it out with the river and is liking it, but is not sure it's gonna work to continue. Do you, have you heard much about that? I, I last I heard the ratings weren't doing too great but i'm not sure I, I don't think many people are watching the river as far yeah. as i know um also he's a fan of white collar and uh, have you seen any white collar i haven't checked it out yet i think i watched the pilot at work a few months ago and it seemed decent but i, I I've, I've always heard that it's it's gotten really good and i haven't had the time to check it out yeah, I like the cast, but I haven't gotten to it yet. But it is one I, I mean, because I was catching up with some Psych this week and some other shows. I do enjoy those USA shows uh, once they find their groove, sort of. So I feel like that's one I should like check Bird out. Like Notice had for a while. Yeah, before it just got too ridiculous with the serialization. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, and then he also mentioned Game Change, which is, of course, the, the TV movie that's going to be on HBO, I think this coming week, uh, maybe next week, uh, about the the McCain-Obama election and the Sarah Palin choice as vice president and all of that. So I'm really looking forward to that. I like to recount a lot. And of course, it's written by Danny Strong, uh, who we, of course, know as Jonathan from Buffy. Mm -hmm. So uh, what about you? Are you looking forward to that one? Uh, I can't really say that I am. I mean, I'm not really sure that it, it, it seems like the stuff that's, if you followed all that, there's going to be the stuff that's public record and that you know about, and there's going to be stuff that could very well be made up. Uh, so, you know, like stuff with her alone in a hallway breaking down or whatever. And I don't know, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of sick of Sarah Palin and that whole topic. And as someone said, I'm not sure it's really the most important narrative to come out of that election. But anyway, uh, that's just my reservations. Maybe it'll be good fun. I never did see Recount, so I can't really judge. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Uh, well, I plan on watching it, so we'll probably be reviewing it on the show at some point. Um, then Justine should watch Luck. Is another comment. She's pretty sure it's the best show she's never seen. So, you know, get on that, Justine. <laughs> that makes sense to me. Do it. And then also we got an interesting comment from Keith, who posed the question of, 
when series don't have a a proper ending, a one that they've planned out and don't have resolution, does that decrease one's enjoyment of it? So is it still worth watching a show if you know that it got canceled before it could resolve anything? Is it still worth watching? Um, what do you think? Um, yes, clearly. I mean, I, I'm really struggling to think of a show that because, I mean, even some shows don't get canceled. They just kind of have crappy finales. Like, I'm sorry, but the Buffy finale is not very good. Like, it just <laughs> yeah, isn't. it didn't hold up on rewatch for me. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it doesn't negate the goodness that came before. And even especially in the case of a show like Deadwood, which really has no ending, which actually I think is, is, is better than a bad ending still. Mm. Um, I mean, it really it, – it depends on how high concept your show is. Like, if you have a really high concept show and your ending just totally violates that, like, you know, if you pull a scene elsewhere, then I can see that being a problem. But it's it would have to be pretty damn extreme to really negate what came before. I do understand the the concern. And it's something that I feel like is more of a problem for because I, I, I haven't seen the killing, but I know a lot of people were very frustrated by the season one finale because they didn't resolve who killed Rosie Larson and people expected them to. But I think the reason people were so frustrated by that non finale is, is because they hadn't been liking the show for several weeks and they were yeah. just kind of sticking it out to get some answers. And then they didn't yeah, No, Nobody was upset when the first season of twin peaks ended. Yeah. And you didn't find out who, who killed Laura Palmer because it was amazing. <laughs> So, so maybe that's something where if you're the only reason you're watching is for answers and then you don't get them, I completely understand being fed up and angry that you spent the time. But for most of these shows that at least that we talk about in the spotlight section, I would say they're ones that, the, or sorry, in the DVD shelf that is, they're ones that are worth the journey, even if you don't like how it ends. Yeah. So. But it was a it was a very interesting uh, d- discussions or, or or question. So thank you, Keith. Mm-hmm. That being said, the lost finale is terrible and totally negates watching the series. And I say that as someone who's never seen one iota of Lost. Yeah, from someone who has not seen it. So I, that'll be fun when we eventually get to Lost. Uh, so let's see. Also, we uh, we didn't get any iTunes ratings this week. Maybe maybe next week, guys. It would be great. Bye, internet. Bye. <laughs> It really does help us out, so if you take a few minutes to, to go to iTunes and leave us a review or a rating, that would be great. Um, but at Sound Sight, uh, we have some, some fun stuff going on. Of course, the Oscars are over, but now it's time for Hitchcock Month at Sound Sight. So it's what marches all Hitchcock all the time? Yes, pretty much. <laughs> Maybe I'll write something about Marnie because that movie is amazing. Yeah, I love me some Hitchcock. Absolutely, I should I should write something up about the music, the co- collaboration between Bernard Herrmann and Hitchcock, because I just love all that good stuff. Um, you should totally do that. You're <laughs> uniquely qualified to do that. Um, but I also let's see. Last week I did my best time travel episodes list, um, which was so much fun, and uh, I got a lot of great comments from you guys on Twitter that helped me construct some of the picks for that. And this week I am busting out uh, my mega procedurals graphathon uh that so this is something i've been compiling for a few weeks of uh, getting together some data on police and medical and legal procedurals on the networks since like the 50s and 
popularity of the three different kinds and uh, lifespan and all that interesting stuff. Looking at why those are the successful uh, procedurals that people come back to time and time again. So haven't haven't you been working on this on and off for like a month and a half? Yeah, I would say mostly off, but yeah. I was fighting with Excel for a while because it didn't want to let me do bubble charts, but I figured it out. So, you know, there are going to be graphs. There will be many, many graphs. <laughs> God, you, there's blood in the water, folks. <laughs> um, but before we go into anything else, I should say I'm very excited. Our, this week, we don't have a DVD shelf. Instead, I got to interview Bill Persky, uh, who is the creator of That Girl, uh, one of the creative forces behind Kate and Alex. And then, of course, he was the producer on the Dick Van Dyke show for several years. So this guy has five Emmys. He has Emmys for writing, directing, and producing. And he is, it was pretty great talking to him. So that was a lot of fun. And that's coming at the end of the show today. I think he's also an amateur astronaut, but I'm not totally sure. <laughs> and it was fun to hear his perspective on, on TV right now, because he, he, he keeps up with it and has a lot of thoughts about um, the, the state of ne the network's uh, sitcoms and dramas and everything. So that'll be coming at the end of the show. And, th and if you're listening, Bill, thank you so much for coming on. It was a lot of fun talking with you. Um, but let's get into our week in TV. You have caught up with the new show. Yes, um, based on chatter I was reading on various blogs and sites and places I won't mention because they don't need more traffic than we do, uh, I decided I would take up with Spartacus, or sorry, as it's known now, Spartacus Vengeance, um, <laughs> which it has to be said like that. You can't just read it like a normal person. So uh, because I was time limited and because I felt like I could get away with it, I watched the season one finale, uh, which is appropriately titled Kill Them All. This is not a show that does subtlety. <laughs> and then I, I, I watched from season two on. I think it's worth noting that Kill Them All is probably the most violent hour in TV history. I'm trying to think of other of, of, of things to combat it with, and I just can't. Although I, I have to say that getting used to the aesthetic style of the show was really difficult because a lot of the CG is – sorry, a lot of the, the, the blood and gore effects are, are highly computerized. And, I mean, obviously the backgrounds are as well. Um, it's probably the most thoroughly artificial show on TV, which really takes some getting used to. Once you've done that, I think there's definitely some some goodness to be found in there. It's, I, I mean, I don't think it's quite as great a show as some people are making it out to be. There's there's still a, a level of simplicity to the emotional core of the show that sometimes I, I think one person called it emotional clarity. I, I think simplicity is is a little bit closer. I think it's had some really strong moments. I think Lucy Lawless is great, and the way they sort of re-envisioned her role in the second season is very smart. Um, I think Liam McIntyre has done a very good job taking over from from uh, Andy Whitfield, who is of course who of course passed away in between seasons. And I think the uh, the not this week, but last week's episode was, I think, pretty undeniably epic, <laughs> and featured. Uh, some like just some of the some of the visuals in it, which I can't get into this yet because you're pro you're eventually gonna watch it. And I don't. There's really something I can't spoil for you. <laughs> and it was just, I mean, it it was very fake looking when it happened, but it was still, it was still executed with panache, and it was you know it, it just it was an epic moment <laughs> last week, and I'm not gonna say more than that. Yeah, I would step into the isolation chamber, except I have to edit the show, so exactly it doesn't work. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, it's I, I think they've they've carried that momentum nicely this week. 
Uh, I'm definitely very curious to see where it where it goes. I mean, it, they're following history relatively closely for a show that features blood orgies. So, you know, there's only so many ways they can do it. It's just a matter of how quickly will they race through history, I guess. Uh, so I'm, I am curious to see how far they get this season. And it's uh, definitely one of the more entertaining things kicking around right now. Good times. Well, that's one I do plan on trying to catch up with at some point. Uh, right now, I don't have the time, but maybe this summer. Maybe that's what I can, uh, like, uh, trade off with White Collar and Spartacus. <laughs> 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 Give myself some uh, some television whiplash. That would be fun. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, so I'm glad you're enjoying it. That's going to be when you're going to keep up with week to week then? I think so. Cool. And I will, yeah. I will continue to talk about it in vague terms. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, let's go into Tuesday. We had Justified, the man behind the curtain. Uh, as if the cast wasn't awesome enough, uh, we have uh, oh, yeah. two new additions this week. And it's no surprise to our listeners that we're big fans of both uh, Tobolowsky, Stephen Tobolowsky, that is, and Jim Beaver. And they both joined the cast this week, hopefully in a recurring uh recurring status but uh other than the awesome cast which we all already know that we like what did you think of this episode uh well i'm not done talking about the awesome cast yet because <laughs> i'm assuming we're not gonna see much of tobolowski just based on the nature of his role he'll show up every now and again steven root style but it kind of seems like we're gonna see quite a bit of jim beaver for at least a little while and just that whole scene when you find out that boyd is planning to pit him against the current uh, sheriff and mm-hmm. have him run against him who's he's currently running unopposed i was just like this is too awesome i can't handle it <laughs> <laughs> um the rest of the episode is solid um but not I mean, I mean i think the the difficulty with the episode it's not really a problem but it's it's one of those episodes where they're putting everything in motion i mean it's it's pretty much the exact midpoint of the season and they're setting a lot of really Apparently pretty crazy stuff in the motion and the preview for next week uh, seems to indicate that, of course, Gary, uh, Winona's ex-husband, is not long for this world. I thought his the last scenes of the episode, which are probably, you know, the last scenes of his life, are <laughs> are so sad and funny and appropriate. I think one of the things I was concerned about this season was them losing sight of Raylan somewhat just in the midst of all these characters and that that seems to be not happening. And I think that they're doing a really good job of showing us that he can do things that are awesome, like, you know, throw a bullet at Win Duffy and say, next one's coming faster and we can be like, hell yeah. And then we can realize half a season later that it was a really dumb idea. Yeah. And now they have a bullet with his fingerprints on it. So, you know. <laughs> oops. <laughs> normally that's not what happens when he threatens someone uh yeah, yeah it was I, it was a very good episode i'm loving the season of justified i know that not everybody is is really enjoying um all of the the new additions the new characters but i'm just having a blast with uh watching raylan try to deal with with corals especially and so uh things have seen you just got increasingly personal and um, antagonistic between them, shall we say? So mm-hmm. uh, I look forward to to watching that play out. And uh, I, I also will say I really liked Tim this week. I thought it was so much fun because yeah. Rachel's gotten more to do this season, but Tim has still been pretty much on the back burner. So to to watch him have to deal with Raylan, which is kind of how I feel like everybody in that office has to deal with him, not mm-hmm. work with not him. work with him. Yeah, just sort of in, endure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that that was a lot of fun, and um, yeah, 
just finding out that he's living above a bar and and right now and that uh he the People just sent, seem to have the wrong idea about him. Not, you know, Quarles isn't the only one who tries to bribe him this 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 week. So, I think there's a lot of yeah. That was a good running coming. gag. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's good time. So I'm really looking yeah. forward to. Yeah, it's not in the spotlight this week. I think because while it was a good episode, we both kind of feel like there's better coming. It's going to get serious. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh- um, yeah, the other thing is, if they ever, uh, the, the serialized plot really kicks into gear this week, which is the other reason that it's kind of, you know, it's, you just feel like it's ramping up. But if they ever want to pause that and just have an episode with Raylan as like, r- like the cowboy bouncer, like Roadhouse style. Yeah, Roadhouse, I would, totally. <laughs> t- I, w- I would totally just watch a Roadhouse episode of Justified. <laughs> yeah, now I'm just picturing all of the. That's Dalton uh, comments from Roadhouse, but that's Raylan. I think I think it yeah. works. I think it'd take him it, out it of would, the knee. It would totally, totally work. Yeah. yeah. Um, next on Tuesday, uh, you didn't watch Cougar Town, but I did. This was Lover's Touch, which featured uh, a lot of crazy jewels in wedding mode, uh, along with plenty of other things going on. The reason I'm mentioning it this week is that we got to see some... Uh, more sincere moments from Ian Gomez as Andy this week. And I really enjoyed that. I thought the dynamic with Ian Gomez and Josh Hopkins worked really well. And it was so nice to have uh, Busy Phillips and Kristen Miller on the same side for once. Uh, Normally, of course, they hate each other. But the notion of them teaming up is somewhat terrifying. So I thought that was a lot of fun. So Cougar Town is still you know, a lot of fun for me. Then we had on Wednesday, Suburgatory, Poetic Injustice, and they managed to sexualize croquet. So, you know, good job there. And uh, the idiotic poetry teacher um, falling all over herself, considering Dahlia the new voice of the generation was was pretty great. So um, it was a good one-off gag, and hopefully it won't come back, but it it was a fun episode. I, I enjoyed it, and definitely I would say better than last week. Then on Happy Endings, it was Cocktails and Dreams, which was um, nice. I think it worked both uh, dramatically with what we got with um, with Max and Grant. I'm going to miss James Wolk, but I, that's a good way of going as far as how they were going to break them up because it's nice to see Max be somewhat mature and uh, approach a relationship in a grown-up way for once, even if he was being somewhat childish about the way he was approaching it. Um but that so that was nice, and then also just the idea that everyone starts having sex dreams about Dave was pretty hilarious. Uh, so, and I, I don't know, I think that if they need to randomly bring that back, and I that'll make me a happy Kate. So, um, yeah, well, I didn't really care about, I didn't really like the ending, but they've kind of been hinting at it for a while. So hopefully they'll just get it out of the way. I did like one of the gags in the episode was a list of all of Dave's bad ideas, and I, I really enjoyed that. The 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 biggest one, the 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 climax of that montage was him proposing to Alex. It's pretty great. I, I like that they can have some fun with the the roots of the show and how it originally was so focused on the fact that they had been that she had left him at the altar and mm-hmm. which which I remember not not being all that interesting. No, it didn't really work. It really dragged down a lot of the first season. So I like that they can poke some fun at that and be self aware. Um, anyway, so it was it was a fun episode and uh, yeah, I hopefully we'll see some elements return. Um, then on Wednesday, it was also the Top Chef finale. <laughs> Yay! Oh, it's over. It Yay. is. Um, so your boy Paul won. He did. What did I you think? I think they knew it had to be that way. 
Well, it, I felt like it was kind of a hollow victory because although I, I, I did, I mean, Sarah was crying at the end and that was awesome. Oh, you're a terrible but, person. Uh, it was just so great. But I, I think what I was really missing from these last few episodes, maybe it's too much to ask for, but a lot of the decisions with who they went with just felt so arbitrary. Mm-hmm. And it would have been really nice to get more more into why they made their choices rather than just have them make their choices and then have people be upset or, or you know, exultant. It, it just it made the whole thing feel kind of empty. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Absolutely. It's, it's like they care so much about the reveal moment that they don't give you any even though they spend like 10 minutes on the deliberation they don't show they don't act give you an accurate idea of what the judges are thinking or why they're making the choice they're making um and that's just definitely disappointing mm-hmm. and it was especially glaring in in that episode because they don't really spend any time talking about their the chef's journey like what did they learn how mm-hmm. did they start off were they consistently strong were they was this just from four weeks ago just utter dog shit you know like there was no context given and and within the episode or within the season and that that was a real weak point for me sort of throughout yeah um one of the things that i mean it didn't bug me about the episode but i kind of wanted to yell back at my tv the mo- the moment like that for me was you know it's something they were teasing in all the promos that uh Clicchio says that this is the best food they've ever had in the finale and uh, to in last when we saw that promo last no, week, after season one, uh, it just seemed yeah, it seemed like a like a, just a ridiculous statement given what we've seen all season. And then we find out that the reason that that probably happened is that they had all they had four sous chefs, and every other season they've had one sous chef and the same amount of time to put together a meal. So of course the food is better because they can do so much more. Um, so that was a little. It might be the best food, but I don't think that either of them are near the best chefs that have been on that show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hence, hence the four sous chefs. I did like the selecting of the sous chefs. That yeah. was that was cute, and who they wound up with. Oh, all the stuff with Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. Um. So so that's over. There's a reunion thing next week. I doubt we'll cover it on the show, but nope. uh, yeah. Well, at least I won't be watching it. So. I'm looking forward to having some time off from Top Chef, and it's kind of disappointing because that used to be one of my favorite shows, but as far as reality goes, but not anymore. Let's move on to a happier topic. Uh, Thursday, 30 Rock. Alexis Good looking in the case of the missing whiskey. <laughs> what did you think? Uh, it was, I mean, Thursday was a good night for comedy in that 30 Rock wasn't terrible. <laughs> um, it, it was fine. I mean, I, I think once again, the consistently hardest working. Uh, character who is the funniest for me is is Jenna, and I I thought her her police procedural moments were great. Her sort of partnering with Tracy was effective and relatively funny. Beyond that, I didn't find the episode all that memorable. Yeah, but not offensive. <laughs> I think I liked it a lot more than you did. Uh, remind me, did you watch the Untouchable pilot when that aired? Or no, Unforgettable? Uh, no. Yeah, I think that's no, why. It, but, but I but I did pick up on her making fun of the one thing that I don't know is blah blah blah. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that because I I watched that and I think I saw more of the I've seen more of those terrible shows like that uh, where the the lady cop with the special skill who, yeah. So I I really enjoyed the Jenna subplot this week. Um, every time it came back, I was laughing, and that is a rare thing for me with Thirty Rock. 
Um, I don't actually remember a lot of the rest of the episode. <laughs> yeah, this is a problem with 30 Rock. But I don't remember it being bad. That That's pretty much how I feel. Yeah, like I remember the Jenna stuff and the rest just kind of floats into the ether. Uh, so I'm not remembering bad things on like previous weeks of 30 Rock. And I am remembering some good things. So it's a move in the right direction and hopefully they'll keep it up. Um, yep. But I think that was clearly trumped by Parks and Rec this week, campaign shakeup. Uh, what did you think? Well, it's funny that we have a Bill Persky interview and then it's just like the week of awesome older dudes because Carl Reiner shows up on Parks and Rec. And he's and he, he doesn't have that. He's only in like two scenes, really. But he's he's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, but I have to say that the surprise guest for me was uh, Catherine Hahn, who uh, shows up as the uh, campaign advisor to the Paul Rudd character, who I'm guessing we're not going to see again for a little while. And although I loved the explanation for why he wasn't there, it, which which was not he's, you know, shooting seven movies at, at, at once right now. No. Uh, I thought she kind of stole the episode, actually. And uh, I really I'm, I didn't think it was the funniest episode, but I am really, really pleased with the way they're handling the election plotline in terms of calling back to her really effective campaign ad from five weeks ago, but then having someone retool it and make it negative. That was a really that's the sort of thing that would happen in a in a campaign like that. And it's an effective way to tie into previous episodes. I think it's one of their most effective sort of long term arcs so far. Yeah, and I, you know, we liked Catherine Hahn on uh, Free Agents. I've liked her in the past as well. So it's nice to see her show up here. And it's a smart way to have their cake and eat it with having an idiotic uh, candidate who's clearly not qualified, but uh, such a, a brilliant strategist trying to get him elected so that they can mm -hmm. have a an actual foe for her, even if it's not the Paul Rudd character. Um, as for the rest of the episode, I thought it was the the whole water fountain thing was hilarious and such a nice little touch that i assume will come back at some point uh just in the background or something but having andy get his mouth around that ridiculously giant uh and then the kamikaze run to chris was it was so much fun and having uh april get some promotion ish within the parks and rec organization i think is really smart and continues the development of the character along mm -hmm. with because we've we've been saying for the past several weeks that we think aubrey plaza is probably the mvp of this season so recognizing that and um sort of drawing on her early um potential that with chris i think was smart so i, I look forward mm -hmm. to seeing where that goes yeah, although I was disappointed that he didn't try a little harder to get that yellow cage around, like his mouth around that thing. <laughs> so that would have been really impressive. We could maybe maybe the show needed some rare CGI intervention. Um, next, there was also the uh, the pilot of Awake, which we talked about last week. We both liked it. I liked it more than you, but I think we both recommend it to viewers, right? Mm -hmm. I I based on reviews I've read that have seen more than the first episode, though I am worried. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, we'll check in with that again next week. And then on Saturday, I saw An Idiot Abroad, Climb Mount Fuji, which is the, the last, it's essentially the last episode of this season of An Idiot Abroad, um, which was uh, Carl goes to Japan and the, the the cat cafe where you pay, what was it, like 15 pounds for a, a cup of coffee and you get to pet cats um, was so decidedly, I have, that's not something I've heard of before, but that's such a Japanese thing, um, at least based on stereotyping and clips I see of crazy Japanese TV, that I thought that was uh, hilarious. And I know a lot of people 
who would love to have one of those around the corner. So I thought that was kind of cool. And then I just thought it was so, so neat that Carl spent 15 hours walking up Mount Fuji. He started at 2 in the afternoon, and he got to the peak at 5 a.m. And that was just... I mean, damn, can you, would you do that? I wouldn't do that. Uh, I do that, but I, I am, uh, but I am known for taking insanely long walks. Maybe not on a mountain though. That sounds like Yeah. Hard. Yeah. It was just because, you know, normally he's such a sad sack kind of character, at least how they show him, but somebody who's going to walk for, you know, I assume there were breaks and everything, but for 15 hours all night long up a mountain in pitch black a lot of the time, that's. That that takes a lot of determination. So I thought that that was neat and a nice little. They didn't draw attention to it. They just was like a little timestamp at the bottom every now and again. But I thought that was pretty cool and it was gorgeous scenery. So that was fun too. And so next week, uh, Carl goes back to England and it's like a clip show. So I I don't think we'll I'll talk about that on, on the podcast probably. But um, I know there was a Christmas special, so there might be in a couple weeks one more. But I really enjoy an idiot abroad. It's one of my favorite travel programs. I would say so. If you haven't checked it out, maybe find it on online or on Hulu or something and uh, and give it a watch because it is a lot of fun. And it'll help you forget that Life's Too Short exists. Yeah, there you go. You can kind of balance it out. <laughs> Speaking of Sunday comedies, let's talk about Eastbound and Down, uh, Chapter 16 or the 16th episode. What did you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, You know, I, I thought it was a fine episode. I wasn't like – I wasn't as bowled over as many other people seem to be, but – I am pleased with the way they're they're headed uh, in general this season. I think my favorite thing about the episode was the addition of the uh, of the Russian nemesis, and his his banter with uh, with Danny McBride was just perfect. And he's just at first aloof and then just totally superior sort of air. I thought was was a really nice addition. Um, they seem to have killed Jason Sudeikis, <laughs> so there goes that. Or I mean, we don't really know if he's dead or not, but. Something it's not going to be. It's not looking good for him. And it's nice to see all of the, you know, the the show's wanton drug abuse finally, finally turn up a possible casualty. Uh, the stuff with Stevie, I wasn't too enamored with. He's a really difficult character. I find to use well. Like occasionally they'll, they'll do great things with him, but often he'll just be annoying. At least for me. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. I mean, I I remember when they were initially formulating this last season, they talked about how they were going to do something insane, like make it a musical or set it in space. So <laughs> I'm, I'm still waiting to see if they do something really insane. And last week kind of hinted that they were going to go really insane. This week was a little bit more dialed back. So I'm willing to see them just go totally over a cliff. Yeah, we'll see what happens. And yeah, last week didn't work for me, but that sort of high concept craziness, I think, would be fun. So absolutely. I, I loved it when News Radio did that. Why not Eastbound and Down? Um, then for me... The thing that worked so well in this episode, besides the fact that they killed Jason Sudeikis, which was just hilarious and so much fun at the end of the episode, uh, was I thought Matthew McConaughey worked so well on the show. And, you know, I haven't seen the previous season, so I haven't seen, you know, when he, I guess he goes to Mexico and recruits him or something in the second season. It's it's a long story, but he's shown up a couple of times. Yeah, but I thought he fit in really well with the, the tone of the show. And, and uh, it, maybe that this is what Matthew McConaughey should be doing at this point, you know, instead of churning out romantic comedies and such. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I, I think I enjoyed this episode more than you did. Yeah, Th- there's there's actually two uh, agents on the show. One of them is Matthew McConaughey and the other one is an, is a really coked out Adam Scott, ah. who's uh, who's extremely funny. I think he only shows up maybe twice. He generally shows up to just ruin his life. 
or try to rebuild. It's, it's, a, it's a long story, but do, do try to catch previous episodes if and when you can. Um, next, we had The Amazing Race, and you signed up for the pool, but Dan is still kicking all our butts. Uh, yeah. He's, w- like, almost 20 points. I think I have nine. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, it's it, it really is a tragedy. I didn't sign up that first week cuz I would have at least 20 points just for giving <laughs> the clowns 20 points because goddamn, I need them to die and they did. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I think my big takeaway from this week is that now the big brother people really 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 <laughs> need to get off my TV screen. Holy crap, they're horrible human beings. That's uh that's that's entertaining. Yeah, I I'm ready for them to be off the show. Though uh I'm ready the, for them to be off the planet. Um, the I took away a lot more than just that from this episode. And, of course, Dan, who is currently winning our pool, also reviews the, the show over at soundonsite.org, Dan Heaton. So you can check out his review there. And I agree with a lot of what he had to say. Uh, I thought that the challenges were very intelligently structured. Um, what, doing the Watching them do the watermelon challenge... Uh, I thought I loved seeing the contrast between um, they showed like a quick clip of Art and JJ's like first layer and that as compared to everybody else's and their first layer looked almost woven. It was so tight and flat and well constructed. And then you showed everybody else's and they were all it was all a hot mess. So mm-hmm. watching them succeed so completely this week was was entertaining as uh, also for me was watching the utter failure of not only the the Madison couple, uh, Dave and do you remember her name? The blonde Rachel, Rachel Dave Rachel. and Rachel. Um, but also the brothers, the twins who were Adam's pick in the pool. So now he's gonna have to pick a new team to win it all. But yes, uh, yeah, I was glad when they uh, when the twins got eliminated because there was some kind of scuzzy stuff that they were doing at the at the airport as far as trying to get people to knock everybody else off the the list out of the out of order and stuff so mm-hmm. yeah I, I i was also more positive on the dating divorcees before this week so basically everybody featured in the promo for next week i want to leave mm-hmm. <laughs> but i am liking bopper and mark and the mississippi girls and i'm liking the border patrol more than i did I still, they still really creep me out. Um, Bopper and Mark should be really annoying, but they're not. Probably mm-hmm. just because they're they're so happy-go-lucky that it's sort of infectious, <laughs> inadvertently. Um, yeah, they're really, they're, I don't find too many of the teams that, I mean, the ones that aren't, that are, that are the, the ones that aren't hateable are either just kind, I'm either kind of indifferent to, or we don't really know anything about them yet because they haven't been featured much, mm-hmm. which I guess means, you know, they're safe for a little while. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see where it's going. I'd still, I'm definitely enjoying it so far. Um, and it's, as soon as we get rid of those big brother assholes, I'll feel much better. Yeah. We'll see though. They're in second place right now. So it'll take, that was extremely upsetting to me. Yeah. By several hours. And the Jersey shore guys were right behind them. Well, you know, I'm not big fans of them, but they're working together and they're not, they don't have any other bullshit coming in. Yeah. Well, they operate on the same wavelength. So let's just say that. Let's uh like let's a dog on. whistle. We this week we had the good wife back after a few weeks off after the fall. Um we got to see a bunch of Will hanging out with his sisters. We got uh Mamie Gummer was back, uh as I don't even remember the her name, but the Aw Shucks lawyer who's from was Wisconsin, I think, or Minnesota mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. Um so and, and lots of uh shake ups at at the firm. What did you think of this week episode? Oh, I 
thought it was okay. I mean, they've definitely done much better this season. They've also done a few worse. Uh, thankfully, we have absolutely none of the Alan Cumming, Amy Sedaris business. Oh, yes. Which I, I don't think we were too eager to get back to, although I'm sure it's, you know, coming soon enough. I did think it was strange that so much of the episode seemed to be themed around... There's a documentary from 2006 called The Bridge, which this episode seemed to take direct inspiration from. I wasn't... I'm not sure if there were any legal troubles with that film, but it's based on a very similar idea to the one we see here. Um, I did think one thing that's really cool about The Good Wife is their openings. They tend to just throw you into the deep end in one way or another and then just sort of let you figure out what's going on. And I thought they did that very effectively this week with just the shot from the documentary and you know various characters playing and replaying it. Uh, I wasn't crazy about the stuff with Will and his sisters. Like, I get that we're supposed to get that he's not comfortable just kicking around or he, you know, can't be with his family. But it really felt like they took seven scenes to just tell us that and hit the same notes over and over. And I didn't mind the uh, the actress playing his sisters, but it felt like there, there, there could have been a more economical way to do that. Yeah, I think I like this episode more than you did. I definitely like the sisters more than you did. I've enjoyed both of those actresses on various things, particularly um, the the younger sister was on um, Studio 60 as the one of the PAs, and she was really a lot of fun there. So we'll see. I, I'm hoping that we see more of them. Uh, what about you? Uh, no, no. I mean, I, I don't. I don't mind as long as they do more things with them than just have them be catty and just hit that same. Mm -hmm. set of beats over and over again um, I think the show is in general done well with siblings uh, I definitely enjoy Alicia's brother so I'm I sort of I, I thought they were good this week I thought they were fun and realistic and sort of made sense with with who he is um, so we'll see where they go from there but I would much rather be spending time with Will's family than with it, any of the Eli stuff so I don't know. Yes, although if they want to bring back Eli's daughter, they can do that anytime because she's awesome. That would be great. They do need to get her uh, hooked back up with uh, with Alicia's son, you know. Yeah, which we also haven't seen her kids in a while. I don't know where they are. Yeah, but I imagine we'll get more of them as Peter's campaign uh, picks up. I also love that we got Mamie Gummer back and that uh, that she was out Mamie Gummered by uh, Caitlin was Yeah, that was hilarious. a nice touch. Yeah, I, I was I was watching the show with uh, with my roommate who's never seen it before, mm -hmm. and he was as someone who isn't used to a, a, a lawyer show trying to be intelligent. He mm -hmm. really didn't get that, like <laughs> what was going on. He just thought these characters were being idiots. So <laughs> I thought that that was that was kind of a fun a fun dimension for me. Yeah, uh, what did you think about the stuff with Peter um, going over to the dark side somewhat? As we knew he eventually would. Um, it's kind of interesting. I mean, the the campaign aspect of the show is not one of the more intriguing, uh, long-form sort of dimensions of the show for me. But I think they're, they're, they're executing it with class. Mm -hmm. We'll see where it goes from here. They haven't pulled any cheap stunts so far, which is nice. Well, and I'm I'm not as interested in Peter, but I do enjoy the position it puts Carrie into. And I think... Um, mm -hmm. He, I think he had become somewhat of a believer in in Peter, and the whole fresh start, clean office kind of thing. So, we'll see where this takes him. Mm -hmm. uh, I I also I happen to read a New Yorker article about the Good Wife and its use of technology, and they were 
talking to the shows to the showrunners and they used the term schmuck bait <laughs> to talk about things they wanted to avoid using and I think that's just a fantastic term that I'm going to start throwing around now. Yeah, good times. Of course, The Walking Dead, we already put out the Sound of State Walking Dead podcast on the Televerse feed for this week. It was uh, Judge, Jury, Executioner was the episode, and mm -hmm. we were more positive on it than... <laughs> yeah, than we have been other episodes, yes. So you can get our, our full thoughts there, um, either on soundofstate.org. Of course, you also have a review up, you and Ricky do, of The Walking Dead Um and uh, and then you, on the Televerse feed, if you subscribe, the you also get the Sound on Sight Walking Dead podcast from there too. So so that's uh, if you want to find out what we thought about the episode, you can check it out there. Next, we had the pilot to GCB, which you did not watch, as I understand. Uh, no, because for some reason I had dignity that day. <laughs> I did. Um, I like a lot of the cast, but that isn't enough for me to like the show. Uh, you, I mean, I really actually enjoy uh, Annie Potts as the lead character's mom, but there's just, there's nobody I like on the show, and it doesn't, I mean, I know it's going for a trashy soap opera kind of vibe, but if I don't like anyone, then why do I want to spend time with them? Mm -hmm. And they don't need to be nice for me to enjoy them, but there, there's just too much mean-spiritedness, and it's hard for me to root for even the Annie Potts character, who I, I enjoy the performance. We'll see how it does. It did fairly, fairly strongly, I think, for ABC with the pilot, but not as well as Pan Am. So we'll see if it if it uh, becomes a hit or if it uh, just kind of fizzles out like so many other... Or if other... it pulls a Pan Am. Or if it pulls a Pan Am. Um, but yeah, I don't plan on checking out more of it. Even, you know, I love me some Kristen Chenoweth, but even the, what they gave her to do at, you know, with the, even with the singing, yeah, it wasn't enough to keep me interested. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how other people respond. If you like to drop me, drop us a line, let me know why, let me know what connected for you. Cause I'd be curious, but didn't work for me. Um, then we had luck episode six. Yeah. They, luck got weird this week. Um, I think. Yeah, there were things in this episode that I think worked really, really well, and other things that didn't. Uh, it was a bit of a mixed bag, more so than the last... I thought the last two episodes were really strong. This one's a little out there. I think what really worked for me, and that I wouldn't have expected, is the whole earthquake sequence with... Uh, I mean, the Richard Kind character, really, he, he, he spends the first ten minutes of the episode clearly preparing to off himself. You know, he calls his wife, and... That's a really awful, in a good way, little scene. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he shaves and he's looking in the mirror a long time. He's very forlorn and he has his gun out. And then there's this insane scene where he's his just his gun goes off and it ricochets off several parts of the room and then it slices his cheek open. And the thing is, if have you seen uh, Magnolia before? No, I haven't. That's one of the ones we need to get to. It's it, it's very reminiscent of a particular sequence in Magnolia that I won't spoil for you. But whereas there it's kind of implied that this intervention may, will make the characters eventually okay, I don't get that sense with Joey at all, who still seems like thoroughly insane afterwards, if if not maybe even more unstable than he was before. I, so, wow, I don't get that at all. No, um, you don't. You, 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 he he strikes you as a as a totally stable individual afterwards 
No, but we get forward strides. He's able to control his stammer. He's more confident. He feels like he has a purpose. Granted that, who knows how long that's going to last and how little it'll take to shake that. But that's not more crazy. That's, you know, at first I didn't understand what he was doing when he kept repeating his name. And then I clicked that, of course, he isn't stammering like he always is. So for me, I thought that that was forward movement for him. Maybe he's, I mean, we'll we'll see where it goes, but I I still get a vibe from him that he's not all there. Okay. But we'll see. Anyway, uh, there was some other stuff that I thought was really good. Uh, You and I have talked about uh, off show people dealing with Milchian dialogue. Mm -hmm. I think for me, I think Farina's having a little trouble with that. Yeah. Uh, Maybe it's just me. I think Hoffman's dealing with it very well. And I, I, in particular, I, I really like his, he, it's it's hard to pull off a line about how a horse is a perfect gentleman, <laughs> yeah. which is one of the early standout lines. And I think uh, that's great. Um, there's some other stuff that I didn't like so much, but let's let's get to you first. I think the biggest problem I had with this episode was, as you just said, the people seem to struggle with the Milchian dialogue this week in a way that they haven't um, in earlier weeks. And I felt like that was something I was it felt really pronounced in the first two thirds of the episode for me. And then it seemed to, to Peter off and go back to kind of how it had been where people felt comfortable in the, their character skins. So, um, so I, I liked more of the, I liked the Carrie Condon and Nick Nolte stuff that we got. Um, I liked the, um, the four, the four gamblers I thought was worked pretty well. It was um, a, a nice, yeah, you know, continuation. I, I wasn't the biggest fan of that plot thread or those characters at the beginning, but I've mm-hmm. come to really enjoy them. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the Jill Hennessy's pregnant thing? You know, I, I I really like their scenes together. Like they they they've got a really great sort of anti chemistry mm-hmm. that that works for me, and and in particular, Jill Hennessy's really great in that role. I didn't like her saying it to us so much. Yeah, I couldn't decide if 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 I if that worked for me or not because it felt really false. But people do that, though. I've done yeah. that. Other people, you know, say something you can't say to the person to yourself. <laughs> you, you've you've muttered about your your being pregnancy. knocked up. Of course, yeah, <laughs> of course, I have all yeah. the time. I I think I would have personally. I mean, she delivered it with great invec- with with great bile. But I think I would have preferred uh, us not knowing that quite yet. And just mm-hmm. being like having an ambiguity there as to why their yeah. relationship is so messed up, and then just have—I mean, in the preview for next week, she just tells him, mm-hmm. which we could we could have just had that, and that yeah. would have been fine. Um, so, but but in general, I, I mean, I'm really enjoying both of those performances, and I think they're some of the—I think they're dealing with the dialogue quite well. I'm not so sure how I feel about the arrival of another antagonist. Uh, in the form of uh, it's getting up mornings o- owner, right? It's, yeah, um, yeah, because the the uh, the horsemen own own uh, own Mogato. Uh mm-hmm. and yeah. But although it, it it is interesting that now we finally know Nick Nolte's character's name. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I don't I'm not really sure if another antagonist is what the show needs, especially when to me the G- Michael Gammon scenes were not very good this week. Yeah, they didn't work as well. And I also wasn't that hot on uh, Ted Le- Ted Levine this week and I normally am a big fan of his. So I, I that whole sequence didn't really work for me. 
Anyway, uh, there's still lots of great dialogue, and uh, I still really like the great majority of the characters. I think there's just a few things they could finesse. Yeah. Um, next, on Monday, we had Vexed uh, for for Lost Girl, which uh, had some interesting developments with the characters. I liked how they played the Bo and Lauren relationship developing. Um, the Mesmer has an interesting power. He can control people and make people do stuff. Um, but the the character design, the costuming and, and creature design for him was very, it felt very cheap. Um, so hopefully that'll improve. It, it felt cheap in a way that the, or, or B series kind of B movie kind of thing in the way that the other creatures haven't or character designs haven't. So hopefully that will pick up and uh, change because I get the feeling that character is going to recur. I don't care about Bo's parents at all. And I feel like the show wants me to, but, um, I don't know. We'll see how that storyline develops. I'm still enjoying the show, and it's still for me the standout of the um, all the the fairy tale kind of secret world of creatures new shows that are going on right now. Um, then on Monday, there's also the first battle round episode of The Voice. I know you were getting tired with the auditions. Uh, what did you think about this? Uh, well, I think my big problem with The Voice is its repetitiveness, and I, I think that was a problem when we had, like, 17 weeks of auditions, <laughs> and, I mean, really, and this this set of battle rounds, I think the concept is interesting, but, I mean, we really just saw, we I mean, we got two, we, we got two rounds with Blake, right, and then one with everyone else? We got six, um, total. Oh, yeah, 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 that's, that's right, yeah. Um, and it's just, I don't know, for me, it, it just, it, something about watching it for two hours and just going, seeing people go through the same process, it's, it's really hit or miss, especially when most of the songs don't really do anything for me. So watching people just go into depth on, you know, for instance, ironic, which I'm sorry, that song just sucks. And yeah, that's, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get invested in people dealing in depth with, with that song. It's just not going to work. Uh, I mean, obviously, the last performance of the Alicia Keys tune was great. I mean, really, it I it was a weakness for me that the only two songs that I cared for at all were that one and uh, Total Clips of the Heart because I can't front on Jim Steinman. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, what did you have a better time than me? Yeah, I think I had a way better time than you did. Um, I I enjoy watching the coaches work with their teams, and it's so nice to hear the comment, like the 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 singer sings something and I think, okay, that would sound way better if you had a little more breath support so you weren't straining. And then the judges says, or the coach says, that would sound way better if you had a little more breath support and you weren't straining. It's so refreshing <laughs> to hear, to have that uh, experience watching the show. Um, yeah. Those, those aspects are interesting. I think what the problem for me is that you have these like real sort of technical elements that are interesting and then they clash with like, there's something really, really silly to me about watching two grown men like face, like sing off at each other, oh, especially yeah. with that U2 song where they're just like, oh they're, each one's trying to gesture harder than the other. And I just, it's just so insanely silly. And like, it, it it's really only when the quality of the performance is really, really high that it, it kind of transcends that for me. Well, the interesting thing for me about the battle rounds is that they are at their best when the two singers work together. 
And when we the the final performance when they uh, started their even their just their very first rehearsal when they're singing together, in one two seconds, uh, I was instantly going, oh, they they're blending so well so quickly. This is they're going to sound really damn good. Um, as compared to some of the other singers who were fighting with each other or weren't working together or even just, I mean. Granted, neither singer did a great job with Ironic, and I have my own set of problems with that song just grammatically, but <laughs> but they couldn't even find a key that those two singers could sing in. They had to do the first person, Jordis sang it in one key, and then when the, when the guy came in, they had to change the, the key of the song so that he could sing it. So yeah, that clearly was super that was a, awkward. It was a terrible song choice, and as soon as they started coaching, they should have been able to tell that. They should have you know said okay this is just not going to work we should pick another song i did also really like that they called him on it that you could see every person all the all four judges and both performers knew that that sucked one of the things i enjoy is trying to pick see who i would pick of the two did you get any enjoyment out of that did you usually agree with them I found that sometimes I agreed with them, and then other times not so much. I I, I was especially divergent on the two country singers mm-hmm. uh, because I, I was surprised that they went with the with the younger one who. And then that makes me feel like there's something creepy going on with Blake oh. Shelton and Miranda Lambert and that girl because she's so much like her and but like half her age. It's it's really weird. I don't see that at all. Um, it that really. Co- correlates to his picks last year where he was picking uh, r- less technically skilled but more vocally interesting singers that he felt like he could help and that he could work with. Mm-hmm. Um, I-, I thought they did a much better job, except for Ironic, uh, of pairing the two singers together and the song. I think that I mean, what made the last performance work so well was the pairing of the two singers because they made each other better. Yeah. So I, I feel like we've been talking about this way too long. This is why I really enjoy the voice. I could talk about the voice for way longer than it probably deserves. Probably, yes. Unfortunately, now we have to talk about Smash. Let's be bad. And they were, uh, at least in my book. Were you more positive on this episode than I was? They were just really tempting fate with that episode title, weren't they? They really were. <laughs> uh, no, I, if anything, I may be even more negative than you. I'm really not all that pleased with the way that with the general direction of the show like i i'm i'm yeah i'm really i'm having a a hard time imagining even how they're gonna set it right at this point just like Mm -hmm. that's how little i'm interested in the plot threads they're developing i think for me the ultimate problem with the show or at least a representation of the ultimate problem is they talk about the complexities of of the real marilyn monroe's life when they talk about developing this musical and then it's like there's, it's like there's a spectrum. Like on on the complicated and interesting end, there's the real Marilyn Monroe, and then there's the musical in the show, which kind of necessarily simplifies that, but maybe keeps a few of the ambiguities in. And then there's the show itself, which is the most simplistic of the of the three, and and it's just you know these really schematic relationships and conflicts that you see coming a mile away, and and you know care and like the and characters you're not really interested in and are kind of two-dimensional and yeah just a lot of stuff i wasn't happy with this week i was so annoyed by the end of this episode the second half even of this episode that i had to keep reminding myself that i had really enjoyed the the let's be bad 
production number from or the song from the show within the show. I had to keep reminding myself that no, like half an hour ago, you did really like this this one song. I was ready to just stop watching the show entirely. As soon as the stuff went down with like the stuff with the the sun, um, and then they had the 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 male writer on the team that he has sex with his boyfriend or his maybe boyfriend or whatever, and they just start giggling about how terrible the sex was. And then they had Ivy walk down the stairs in a dress made of a bed sheet, which no one has ever done that. Ever. <laughs> do you know how long it would take to do that? To to make up a dress like that? Like, as opposed to just throwing out a bathrobe? Come on. And then they had to cap it all off with the uh with the Deborah Messing character making out with the the, the maybe boyfriend the ex who now is married with a kid but apparently they just can't stay apart oh my god it was terrible and then the yeah, camera sucked. pans up and the sun is watching of course so uh, they can't even cheat badly well <laughs> yeah well and they and they even had the that terrible and then he starts singing at the end and if you're gonna do that the least you can do is have it be acapella so that it's live and has a little more emotion to it um, and, and you compare th- and you add that in with the terrible, I'm going to sing It's a Man's World and strip tease to myself in a mirror scene, oh, even yeah. though I'm running late <laughs> for my, my very, the, the, my boyfriend who I love very much, his important dinner. I'm going to sing to myself sadly and strip. Oh, like, and uh, let's not forget that they've given him an attractive coworker just to manufacture more drama, which, uh, yes, of course. I already don't care about that character and they're gonna give him more to do which great so yeah not looking good smash um but let's uh let's let's take a break we're gonna listen to uh we're gonna listen to a little clip of the final performance from the voice last night and we're gonna come back and spotlight archer for the first time so we'll be right back Yay. after this Hand me the world on a silver If I Ain't Got You by Alicia Keys as performed by Anthony Evans and Jesse Campbell on The Voice this week. Um, normally, of course, we use a clip from this, the show or a song that was used in the show that we're spotlighting, but Archer doesn't really do that too much. So uh, so in, rather than using the theme song, I figured, you know, it's, it's it fits in the, the music of the week. It's definitely, I would say, one of the more memorable pieces of music on TV this week. Um, mm-hmm. So Archer crossing over... Uh, so much happened this week, and it was so deliciously dark. Uh, what did you think of the episode? Dark and wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, th- I mean, really, the two big developments this week are, are Archer's stopping Pam when no one's looking, which was amazing. I just, <laughs> I loved that development, and I, I just, I thought, 
I, I just really like what they've done with Pam this season in general. And she, she's, she's really kind of become like a, a bit of a, a wonder kind. <laughs> and, um, I just, I think that's just been great. And to have, to have that relationship happen, I think is, is a really smart development. Of course, the, it's a funny because both FX shows that we cover got all serialized this week. So we have the return of our cyborg villain, uh, this week, which, uh, which, which was great. I love Barry. I think he's just an awesome character. I think he has always been. And I think the, the, they recognized that immediately and decided to make him a basically invincible cyborg. because <laughs> So they can always not? bring him back. <laughs> so they can always bring him and other Barry back. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, everything to do with Barry and his various plots, one of which is so awesome, it's apparently <laughs> going to make your brain explode, but we don't know it yet. Mm-hmm. Which maybe puts an undue uh, pressure on the show to really have his plan be awesome, but whatever, I'm fine with it. Um, And then then it got, yeah, seriously dark. And actually the last moment of the episode is not really a funny one. Yeah, it's just, it's it's funny because they actually went there and they actually did it. Uh, So I guess maybe funny isn't the right word, but it's memorable. Audacious? Yeah, that... That's a good. That's a good word for it. Um, do you think they're gonna continue the the Archer Pam thing, or do you think that's just gonna be something they come back to randomly? I think it. I could see it being something that that is just a constant thing on the show that they'll just do every once in a while. Okay. Like I don't think they're gonna make them have a serious relationship oh, or anything. Yeah. I don't think that's really in the cards. I just think that every once in a while you'll they'll have Pam and Archer come out of a. My whichever closet. bathroom Pam's still allowed in and <laughs> or or yeah. yeah and you know they'll just do that I mean it, it could just be an it, it could be an excellent source of running gags and I'm, they've never really been short of you know things to exploit for for running gags really I enjoyed finding out that uh, Mallory and Burt Reynolds are still going strong um sort so of ish hopefully that'll mean he can come still back going. at some point if that would be great uh, although if they could find a way to write an episode that isn't just, oh, my God, we have Burt Reynolds, <laughs> that would be great. Well, apparently they're going to a moon base at some point this season. So, uh, yeah, who knows? If anybody could add more awesome to that trip. But I guess we'll we'll see when that when we get there. Um, yeah, the I mean, I enjoyed Barry. I enjoyed all the stuff with Cheryl and Barry was uh, decidedly uh, creepy and hilarious. So we'll see. I mean. I feel like they're they're going to drop the berry thing for a while, but and then I guess pick it up next season now that they are renewed. Um, oh, I'm guessing they'll pick it up at the end of the season, like sort of what sort of what they did with the with the many multi-part episodes that we got at the begin end of last season beginning of of this season. I I think we'll definitely see Barry again before the before the season's out. Okay. Well, I mean, I'd be all for it. It worked so well here. Uh, Nicola, they enjoyed so much uh, call, uh, their Captain Jackoff jokes this week. Um, but uh, I, I'm going to, I think I'm going to miss that recurring gag somewhat. I, I guess we'll never find out who his actual father is. But, uh, but yeah, I didn't, I think this is worthy, even though there's only so much to say about it, this is worthy of the spotlight just because they went there. Yeah. And I mean, uh, although we you know we don't really know if he's dead, I mean, we assume so, but 
and it certainly seems like in reality that's what would happen, but you know, this isn't reality. And of course, we have that moment of Jackoff saying, not all is what it seems, or whatever. Mm-hmm. We don't know what that means. And that's the thing, like, even though this is a cartoon, there's still a lot of mystery. Like, we really don't know. There's a lot of intrigue for what's basically a spoof. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it, the, the show, like, navigates that space really well between being something that lampoons other things and being its own thing. And I think that's what makes it such a great show. Yeah, I'm definitely enjoying this season. Um, where Do you think this is the best season so far? I'm going to hold off on that. I, I really do think season two has some amazing highs, just especially that run of episodes uh, that includes the the Gator episode and mm. Woodhouse's uh, World War One escapade, which also makes him like 150, but whatever. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, just that whole that run was just amazing. Uh, I'm not sure we've had a run quite that good yet, but it has been very consistent. Mm-hmm. I think the single thing I want to see is I want to see uh, baby. What was the, what's the baby's name again? Uh, the wee baby Seamus. We wee haven't baby seen him in Seamus, a long time. Yeah, I think if they can just uh, bring him into the next episode, then the season will have everything that it could. Maybe bring in baby Seamus and cancer next week, and then it's all you could ask <laughs> for from Archer. <laughs> Pretty much. Maybe the Wee Baby Seamus should have a battle with cancer. Hmm. I could see that. Wee Baby Seamus would totally take cancer out and just punch it in the junk. Because Wee exactly. Baby Seamus is that awesome. Um, but yeah, it's been, a, I think, you know, somewhat mixed week, but maybe better episodes from um, yeah, from the comedies than the dramas in general this week. I think so. Although, yeah, tonight's Justified looks epic. So Yeah, I can't wait. I, I'm, I'm, and pretty, not wait. I'm pretty goddamn excited about that. <laughs> So uh, a few show notes before we go to our fabulous interview with Mr. Persky. Of course, our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. We're up on Current if you want to, to catch the show streaming. Or you can, of course, come to our post at sendonsite.org. Leave us a comment. We would love to hear from you guys. So let us know uh, what you think of the interview. Let us know what you thought of this week's TV. Um, what you think of Keith's uh, question about whether a show's disappointing finale um ruins your enjoyment of the rest of the series um and of course we'll also we have an m4a and an mp3 feed in itunes you can subscribe there please leave us uh, a review or a rating if you have some time that'd be great um i'm at the televerse at twitter you are i'm at sucker howell and then of course you can also email us the televerse at gmail.com i think that's that seems like it's enough anything else Let's get to Bill. Let's get to he's Bill. Awesome. <laughs> we'll be right back with our my interview with Bill Persky. back with the televerse this is kate kalzik and i'm joined by mr bill persky bill thank you so much for coming on the show oh it's my pleasure since i didn't have to leave my office where are you chicago chicago yep chicagoland area and you sir i'm in new york city where it's raining you have snow you're supposed to have snow it's actually it's 55 and gorgeous today so you know but there is no global warming remember that <laughs> none of that science now no no wouldn't think of it now, just I'm going to rattle off a few of your, your credits, and I'm going to try okay. to refrain from turning this into the Chris Farley show from uh, okay. SNL. But you've written for, among others, 
Steve Allen, Sid Caesar, Bill Cosby, Carl Reiner. This is just an incredible uh, list of people, not to mention, you know, being a producer on The Dick Van Dyke Show, creating That Girl, directing, what, 100 episodes of Caden Alley? Correct. Yes. I applaud your energy, sir. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) I applaud it myself. Actually, uh, I just finished a book called uh, My Life is a Situation Comedy, which is about to be published, about how my life and those shows lived out what was the 50s, 60s, and, you know, last part of two, right up through 2000. And, uh, and the thing I find is you got to keep going. You got to be a moving target. So I'm always busy doing something. Well, that's fantastic. I, I look forward to, to reading that. I, is, do you know if it'll be out on Amazon? or? It'll be out on Amazon shortly, and then it's going to be published by one of three publishers. And cool. So I'll, I'll keep you informed. God knows you'll help me sell it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so let's let's just start with The Dick Van Dyke Show. Um, it's one of the best shows ever created, Absolutely. as far Absolutely. as I'm concerned. It holds up so well. It's every now and again I put out different lists on sundownsite.org, top ten this, top ten that, and I find whenever I'm trying to think of an older show to prevent myself from skewing too recent, I can right. almost always find a Dick Van Dyke show episode that fits and is appropriate. I, I, I love the show. Well, I, I think that's because uh, they are every episode of the Van Dyke show happened on some level or was instigated by something that had happened to one of us involved. Mm-hmm. I mean, it. I, I speak in colleges a lot, and uh, mostly to people who are on their computer, but I am assured that they are listening to me. <laughs> and, uh, and a lot of them never saw the Van Dyke show, but they go back to looking at it afterward. I get a lot of mail afterwards. But the thing is that, when we did the Van Dyke show, and that's really when Carl Reiner did the Van Dyke show, because Carl Reiner, there is no one in the. Incidentally, the other night, did you watch the Academy Awards? Yes, I saw. I saw some of it. I was and in and out. Well, they showed Estelle Reiner, his wife, and Rob Reiner's mother, with what is considered in the list of hundred greatest lines in movies. Mm-hmm. I'll have what she's had. Yes, of course. Yeah. And, and they they uh, they showed that so. The Reiners live on forever. But what happened was we didn't have television to watch. We, you know, we had radio and mm-hmm. things, but we were living life in a different level. There weren't all these electronic things. And in fact, one of the things I tell the kids is half of the shows you that were on before the 90s would have lasted three minutes if there had been cell phones because all of them were about... Geez, he's coming. <laughs> She's not going to know. What are we going to You call him up and you tell him and the show's over. I mean, mm-hmm. Romeo and Juliet could have texted one another and would have had a whole different ending, you know? Absolutely. So as, as much as all this stuff is brought, it's taken away a lot of... I always say it's it's had more to do with contact than it has with communication because there is no communication. Mm-hmm. I'm on 83rd Street is not communication. That's just making contact with mm-hmm. someone. But... What happened after the Van Dyke show was that a lot of people watched it and then their lives were derivative of things they'd seen. And they were spending so much more time watching television that they were reusing 
the experiences they had on television. And somebody said, well, why isn't comedy as funny? I said, because it's the 11th generation of cousins marrying cousins. The gene pool <laughs> is so delighted that everybody's an idiot, except on, ordin on modern family. Somehow yeah. they have escaped. <laughs> I was going to ask if you, I don't know how, how much TV you watch. I mean, obviously you just wrote a book. You're a busy person. Um, do you keep up with TV, the current TV I, landscape? Yes, I do. Because I, you know, I, it's the old story is the, the media leading the culture, which is coming, Bert. But I think that television now, and I say this, Andy Cohen of Bravo is like my son. He's my daughter's best friend, and mm -hmm. he's got all of those shows, and I love him. But I say these, there's nothing to aspire to with any, everybody on television. I mean, like Two Broke Girls, oh. uh, I mean, everybody's a slut, you know? Mm -hmm. I understand apparently today that Snooki is pregnant. <laughs> yes. You hear that? Big news. God, I don't know how. She's only slept with seven guys a show. I mean, it's just... And the terrible part about it is that you go to a fancy party, like a 16th birthday party or something in New York, and from well-to-do, sophisticated families, all of the girls are dressed like Snooky. And you say, it's not the kids. How can their parents let them do it, you know? Mm -hmm. So I do watch Modern Family religiously. I watch House, but have grown to really be pissed off at him because he's just too unreasonable. Mm -hmm. I love revenge. It yeah. is so trashy that I just can't stand it. <laughs> What's terrific is on Showtime. Have you watched uh, episodes, the Matt LeBlanc show? No, I haven't gotten to that one yet. It is incredible. I mean, it is so funny. And it's just brilliant. I mean, it's a lot of great stuff around. Mm -hmm. But it's usually not on the networks as such. Because, God, they, what they've done to women. I mean, I was interviewed uh, by PBS recently about the new shows about women. Mm -hmm. And I, what I think of them, and I... I it makes me sad because when we did that girl, it was a major breakthrough in the way young women thought about their lives. It changed. It literally, Marlo changed the way young girls looked at their lives and what was possible. And I am such a hero to women in their 60s and 70s. And now there's a whole bunch of teenagers who are starting. How old are you? I'm 26. You're, you look like a baby. <laughs> you have a boyfriend? No, not at the moment. Oh, so there was one, but he wasn't. Uh, well, I won't get into it. <laughs> no, I, I'm curious when, because, of course, I would agree there are a lot of um, interesting, shall we say, uh, female uh, protagonists on TV right now, and especially if you're going to extend that to include reality where you have your Jersey Shores and your real housewives, and et cetera. But what do you think of, for example, uh, Parks and Rec? Because I feel like a, a lot of what I see in Amy Poehler and Tina Fey, I would connect to that line of strong female Absolutely. creative forces in television. Ab absolutely. I mean, those two shows, those two young women are great. But I mean... And and they have all the foibles and all the insecurities, and mm -hmm. but they're real people. I mean, I have I raised three daughters, and uh, I went through everything with them. My oldest daughter, I I raised by myself from the time she was twelve, so I have a pretty good 
understanding of, of young women and what their lives are about. And uh, those two are brilliant. What's her name? Wittick uh, from Bridesmaids. Uh, oh, Kristen Wiig. Oh, my God. You know, they mm -hmm. are voices. They are truly voices. They're feminine. They show the pain of being feminine and the strength, you know. Mm -hmm. But ordinary people really gets it right, I think. Yeah. You know, it's a cross-section. Not ordinary people. Modern family. Modern yeah. Who are ordinary people. Who are, actually. yes. <laughs> and they just have respect for each aspect of it. And, and, and it's great to see. But that's a lineage of old-time television. The people mm -hmm. doing grew up with higher standards. You know, I, I don't really watch any of the other comedies. I just, I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't, I haven't ever really watched How I Met Your Mother. Mm-hmm. But I love him. I, you know, Neil Patrick is terrific. Yeah. yeah. But I, I, I'm not a big watcher of comedy anymore. I like a lot of dramatic shows, you know. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of really great drama happening. The and good actually, wife, the oh, good wife is as great as it gets. I love it. I love. We talk about that show all the time on the Televerse. We love it. Um, I, I was actually going to ask you. We thought about comedies, especially on the network, seem to go in cycles. Like I know for a while after the the glut of uh, sitcoms in the 90s there was sort of after friends and those shows kind of petered out there was yeah. quite a while where nobody was making sitcoms and only in the past few years with with uh, parks and rec and and with right. um modern family is another one it ha has sitcoms have sitcoms become again considered a way to be successful you know in the network game do you think that's just a a fact of you know i think it's a tastes. fact of economics as much as anything else mm -hmm. they are much cheaper to make now uh modern family is a film regular film type show mm -hmm. the one and they're expensive but the ones done in front of an audience are a lot cheaper than than filming outside and and uh doing a movie but even the half hours it doesn't just cut the cost in half it's exponential, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it really is a lot cheaper. Plus, you get two shots at an audience in an hour. If they yeah. don't like the second one, they'll watch the first one. You're not loading up a whole hour of what you're doing. It's, it's and true. Comedy, situation comedy is always dead, cyclically. Mm -hmm. I remember when we did Kate and Alley, that was in 1982, 83, and they put us on the air at mid-season for six episodes, which turned out to be very successful. Bill Cosby, had that show had mm -hmm. gone to NBC when Brandon Tartikoff was the head of NBC. And everybody had said situation comedies are dead. And Brandon said, you know, Kate Nally is doing well. Let's try another family kind of thing. So one of the ingredients that led to Cosby getting on and reopening the, the era of situation comedy was that one of them was successful. So, yeah. And let's face it, the world cannot live without comedy. No, it just doesn't doesn't you work. Know, it, it just can't. <laughs> well, and when we're talking about uh, you know the difference between the just the pricing of of, of sitcoms and the cost, because of course you have experience doing both studio audience and non studio audience, because right. you know that girl was filmed Absolutely. separately. Right, yeah. And what, what what was the difference? Like, what was that experience like? You know, working on both of those. You know, how did it contrast? Well, the multi camera show. 
is a much more writer-oriented show. Mm. Uh, when you look at the credits and you see there are 72 producers, they're all, for the most part, they're writers who, instead of a raise, got to be a producer. Yeah. But half-hour comedy in front of an audience is all about the writing. The, the talent is essential, but the scripts are changed and rewritten and rewritten and rewritten to the very last minute. In a half-hour film show, you write it, and then they go off, and you've taken your best shot at it, and unless there's a problem, you're not going to rewrite anything again. So in many ways, the the uh, acting on the the film shows, the one-camera shows, is is better because the actors really have a chance to learn it. Yeah. And on the multi-camera shows, the last second between the dress rehearsal and, and the air show, the writer has thought of a new joke, mm -hmm. which is very seldom is any better than what was there. But the poor actor has to now think, what was the new line? What was, and I can always yeah. tell when it's a new line because you look at an actor's eyes and they kind of go dead and they say, here it comes, here it comes. Here. <laughs> then they see the line and they say, got it, got it, got it. They, you know, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's not about anything, but what was that they just told me, you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a, I love multicam because I'm, I'm a writer mm -hmm. and I love directing it because no matter how thoroughly you write something, you can't envision the fact that there's a little rain coming in over the back of the set of the TV, I mean, of the screen here as we're talking, and I'm sitting and thinking, well, maybe I'll move it a little this way. You can't anticipate everything. Yeah. And then I'll get up and I'll knock something over. And then it'll become more organic because I'm dealing with the moment that, that things are happening and you just see things differently. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you look at, when I look at your credits, I see 100 episodes of Kate and Allie direct that just doesn't happen now. I mean, I can, I guess How I Met Your Mother, Pamela Fryman has directed every episode of that, but that's the only show I can think of right now where you have that sort of consistency with the same director week after week. Jimmy Burroughs has done that a lot mm -hmm. on, on a lot of shows. He's done all of a lot of shows. Yeah. Well, because I, I, you know, you often hear that television is the writer's medium, and I wonder how much of it is, ah, is just because of that when you have different directors coming in. Well, with all due respect to most directors on multi-camera shows, after the fourth show, the cast knows everywhere that they can sit, mm. what, the, how they can cross from here to there. I mean, there isn't a lot you can do, and their characters are defined. Mm -hmm. So it's like coloring within the lines for the most. No director is going to come in and change anything. Some will be better at interpreting it, and they'll then be asked to stay on and probably do the whole series. But there isn't the directorial uh, responsibility on a multi-camera comedy show that there is on a film show. Because in the film show, the director is off somewhere with the cast, and he's the only one who's in charge. But when you're on the stage right downstairs from the writers, you know, they're going to turn to the writers, their daddy to the to the kids. Well, and when you contrast that with, for example, the hour long dramas that you see, there's often at least I find more of a visual style 
uh, a more unique visual style to the hour longs. And, and the actors and the directors must fit into that. Mm -hmm. They're not suddenly say, you know, it would be great as if I did that. No, you know, because yeah. one of the things about television is the familiarity for the audience of who people are and what they're going to do. And very seldom do people change because they're part of an ensemble and it's like a formula. And if somebody starts acting differently, then everything shifts and what you've been counting on isn't, isn't there anymore. Yeah. I mean, and that's something that is, that is grown over the years as television keeps expanding as a form, you get, you know, with the increased serialization of particularly dramas, but there's a few comedies I think that have, have added that element. Um, but as you start getting that, then change, I feel like has started to become more acceptable, but it always seems to be in such small segments and baby steps so that the viewers still, feel, like you're saying, feel comfortable feeling this like it's the same show that they're yeah. watching week and yeah. week. Because they're, they're, they're friends and, yeah. and you, you know what to expect from your friends. Mm -hmm. And if one of your friends isn't what you expected them to be when you see them, you want to know what's wrong with them. And yeah. you generally want them to get back to being the person you're comfortable with, mm -hmm. unless they're doing something destructive and then you'd like them to change, you yeah. know, but nobody's doing that much destructive on a situation. <laughs> I, I, I should hope not. Um, let's, let's talk about that girl briefly. Cause I, unfortunately I wasn't as familiar with it as I would have liked to have been. I was sort of culturally aware, you know, uh, having just grown up with a lot of TV, but it's, I, I watched some of it to prepare for talking with you. And this show, I think the best word is adorable. It's just yes. Marlo Thomas is, I dare anyone to not like her unless it's out of spite. If, if, <laughs> if you knew her, you would think it even more. I mean, mm -hmm. she and I have been just the closest of friends and she is one of the most powerful human beings I have ever met. Mm -hmm. Strong. I dubbed her the velvet steamroller. <laughs> because she will get her way when mm -hmm. she believes in something. She listens and listens, but she will always go with her heart mm -hmm. and she will roll over you and you'll end up doing what you wanted to do. And you'll just kind of brush yourself off a little <laughs> bit. Uh, she is she never stops. I mean, she just finished doing a play on Broadway, mm -hmm. which I think was probably some of the best work I ever saw her do, you know, and she constant and her energy level. I mean, she, her father founded St. Jude's and Marlo and her brother and sister now run the corporation, but Marlo was the face up forward mm -hmm. and she is doing commercials. And she's like this morning, I saw a St. Jude's commercial with uh, the pilot who had landed the plane in the yeah. river. And he was talking about, I'm not a hero. And he's down in St. Jude. And I know Marlo did that. And mm -hmm. she never stopped. And, of course, her husband, Phil Donahue, mm -hmm. who is an icon of all icons. I mean, the two of them together, it's like you sit there and say, I'm with royalty right here, you know. And Marlo, if you have Marlo as a friend, you're covered. I, I, mm -hmm. I had a situation recently with uh, one of my godchildren and who was ill and the minute i told marlo the plane tickets to saint jude's were there the kid was in for a week got mm -hmm. evaluated and i said marlo thomas is like having your own seal team six <laughs> you, don't, you don't need anything else and to get the show on was not easy she walked into a room with 12 men 
mm-hmm. kind of like the women's health care meetings these days. They never learn, do they? Yeah. And uh, she convinced the network to give a chance. There was no way for a single girl not living with her parents to be on television who wanted a career mm-hmm. and a life of her own. It had never been done before. You were either a daughter or a nun or a teacher or a nurse nobody lived by themselves and and uh, had a life of their own and at the end of five years the biggest argument was that the network insisted that she and donald get married mm-hmm. and marlo just refused she said if she gets married that just proves that we spent five years for her to have the ultimate achievement of being married and that's not what the show is about and seriously I, I was just down in Richmond, Virginia, speaking to a women's group. And there were women there from 30 to 70. Mm-hmm. And they, the older women, they said, that girl changed my life. I just didn't know it was even possible until Marlo did it. Well, and it's just crazy to think about now with, you know, what we're used to, what I'm, my generation is used to seeing on television, which is, you know, years and years of being told you can be whatever you want to be and and seeing that reinforced you know particularly if you're a certain social status but you know that so so just the idea that it couldn't exist before is crazy now like with two broke girls it's they're skanks you know what i mean they just there's nothing to look up to what's that one uh new girl Mm -hmm. she's a fool i mean there are a lot of women on television who are, you know, in the comedies who are just really non-aspirational, you know, they need a role model. They're certainly not role models unto themselves. Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting because then at what point does it become the ultimate equalizer that you don't need to have a role model? But I would, uh, we, we've gone on the record on the Televerse of not being a fan of Two Broke Girls. We kind of destroyed the pilot when we were reviewing it. Um, so I, I hear what you're saying. Absolutely. Um, though I, I would say we, we have grown more fond of, of New Girl, but I also hear where you're coming from there as as well. Uh, but yeah, looking back, I was just surprised because the the best thing for me about uh, that girl, besides just the fact that it was so much fun and so effervescent, was that and I saw a similar actually quality with Kate and Allie when I watched it too. Is that it wasn't about confrontation, it wasn't about breaking new ground. It was about characters being true to themselves and living exactly. the life that they want to live. And all of this great social context adds to that and heightens that, but. That wasn't. It didn't feel like there was a, you know, some message that was trying to be sent. It was just characters living their lives. Well, you know, it's in doing situation comedy. You don't think you're going to do anything earth shaking for anybody. Although the very first Dick Van Dyke show that I wrote with my partner at that time, Sam Denock, was about the the, the wrong baby, and yeah. it was the, it was the first time that a African-American couple or person was presented in that light. And the network was terrified. It was 1963. Mm -hmm. And when we came up with the idea of the wrong baby, because it was an experience of mine after I had my first daughter and and somehow we got the wrong flowers or something. I said, well, how do we know we're going to get the right baby? You know, (laughs) and that then grew into the episode. But um, would, for our listeners who are less familiar, would you give a little context of the, the what episode? It was, 
is Dick Van Dyke, Rob Petrie, when he had his first child, it was a flashback episode. He was convinced that they had brought the wrong baby home. Mm -hmm. And that was 1963, and there was no DNA. Mm -hmm. So there was really no way to guarantee that you had the right child. And so we had this great episode and got to take all the fun out of Dick playing this stuff, which he was a master at, and Mary wondering what was going on with him. And But then we came, what is the ending? How do we unequivocally prove that this is their child? And we realized that the only, and this is the first time that Sam and I had ever gotten the good fortune of writing a Van Dyke. And Carl, who is the most courageous creative person in the world, gave us this chance. And when we got down to it, we said it has to be a different ethnicity. Mm -hmm. So came down to what is that? And we decided countries in trouble with racial things, let's have it be an African-American couple. So the network said, well, wait a minute. When they And what happens in the show is when he finally confronts the guy on the phone and says, you have my baby and we have yours and I want you to bring it over here or we'll come to you. <laughs> and he opens the door and in comes this black couple. Well, what happened was it was such a daring thing to do. I mean, it may not sound like that now, but it was like throwing a hand grenade in the face of the whole country to do this. And the people at the network said, well, you can't do this because it's too early in the change socially for a white couple to be making fun of a black couple. And Carl said, no, no, you don't understand. It's the black couple <laughs> who's making fun of the white couple. And the guy in the network said, well, we're certainly not ready for that. <laughs> so we just went ahead and did it. We, If it didn't work, we would have had to bury the episode, which would have been disastrous because of the money but also because of how quickly scripts turned over and you, you you couldn't fall behind. So when the show played beautifully and when the door opened, I was standing next to Carl because it's a stage with 300 people sitting in bleachers on, in an audience watching. The door opened, Dick did a reaction and the couple came in and there was a deadly silence long enough for Carl to say to me, oh, shit. <laughs> and then there was an explosion of last laughter that lasted for 20 minutes. Not one laugh, but <laughs> every time we try to start again and reshoot it, they would find yeah. something else. But we could not get them to stop laughing. Now, when we edited the show together, it's just like a good, solid laugh. But it was a turning point. It was mm -hmm. absolutely a turning point in, in, in American culture that you're allowed to do that, just like that girl was. And one of the things I talk about in, in my book and when I speak, that the difference, I look at that girl and, and, and Kate Nally's bookends with Mary in the middle. Mm -hmm. And it's evidenced over a 20-year period that on that girl... If she had a problem with her sink backing up, she would call her father. If Mary had a problem with her sink backing up, she would call a plumber. When Kate and Allie had a problem with their sink backing up, they tried to fix it themselves. They flooded the apartment. 
called the plumber and Kate had an affair with him for eight episodes. <laughs> yeah. So there, I mean, there it is in a clogged sink. What yeah. happened to women over that period? Then of course, uh, the next one in line was Murphy Brown. Mm -hmm. She ended up having a baby on her own. I mean, and then friends were, people were sleeping with everybody. I mean, it was just ridiculous. And, and Seinfeld, which is God knows a milestone in, mm -hmm. ter in terms of comedy and the subjects that they took on and earned their way to get away with. In other words, you just mm -hmm. don't go on and do that. You got to, you got to earn your right with an audience and with the network to get the ratings to let you go where you want to go. Absolutely. Well, and it's just proof that anything can be funny if it's done well. It's not the topic, it's the execution. And even just, you know, that that gag at the end of the, you know, Dick Van Dyke uh, episode that we, that we were just talking about, something like that is all it takes to let the the writer or let the for the producers to let the writers take another risk and take another risk so for the audience to know well it's okay isn't you're in safe it? hands yeah and also that maybe things have changed a little bit you know mm -hmm. i i know that there are two incidents that as i started to say when you're doing situation comedy you don't expect that you're doing anything overwhelmingly meaningful but on Kate and Allie, there, there, there's one letter I saved in the second year from a woman named Elaine who wrote me a letter and said, I've never sent a fan letter, and I don't know if this is one, but I'm recently divorced with two children. I have no skills, and I'm scared to death. But thanks to Kate and Allie, I know I'm not alone, and I'm not crazy. Yeah. When you can do that, and, you know, you didn't say, I want to sit down and make a woman feel it. You were just trying to express. And Kate Nally, because I had brought up a child on my own. So I, you know, I was there for my daughter's first gynecological, <laughs> through, I mean, through everything. Mm -hmm. We are so close that we're not close. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. There's a place where you need a mother, you know, mm -hmm. and or a father. And to be both is very hard. But, uh then there was a woman who, who uh, a friend of mine who's a psychiatrist told me, he said, I have this patient who's having this terrible problem, or was, and I think you'd find it interesting. Her husband had just gotten remarried to a very beautiful, sexy, whatever, mm -hmm. and she felt totally inadequate. And it was Thanksgiving, and she was in turmoil as to whether have, to have Thanksgiving for the kids with her and then have Thanksgiving with the husband or whether to not have Thanksgiving. And he said for a, she was really her whole life was coming to focus based on Thanksgiving. You know, yeah. it wasn't about Thanksgiving. It's about who was she? What what rights did she have? How much competition should she let herself be caught up in? And so she talked about it a lot as a vehicle to discuss a lot of other things. And then he saw her the day the week after Thanksgiving. And he said, so we never resolved it. What did you do for Thanksgiving? She said, oh, I did what Kate and Allie did. I just invited everybody and let whatever happened, happen. So yeah. you say to yourself, that's nice to have done that much, you know? Mm -hmm. That's that's really nice to have affected lives in, in what I think was a positive way. Yeah. And relationships was what Kate and Allie was about, because that was what the whole world was about in the 80s. 
And I felt that, you know, God knows in a relationship there's sexuality, but that isn't what a relationship. Relationships are built on trust and respect. Yeah. I don't care if you you're having a relationship with your dog or a person <laughs> or whatever it is. If you don't have complete trust and complete respect, you're not going anywhere with it because yeah. those are those are the tent poles that hold it all together. Well, and that is one of my favorite themes, I would say, in television. Probably my favorite show is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and that's the idea of created family is so. That was one of the shows that really got me into exploring television as more of an uh -huh. art form uh, rather than just what I did, you know, on an, at Friday afternoon or whatever. Right. Right. Um, and so just this idea of a family can be whatever you want it to be. And yes. in, in, for Kate and well, Allie, that's, why modern that's what it was. Such a great extension of all that, mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. Well, and it's, it's just, uh, you know, I, I've been off and on with the show. I keep wanting them to go to some new avenues of, of, uh, of comedy for particularly Sofia Vergara's character, but some of the other ones as well. But all that being said, any quibbles I may have with the show, it's so nice to see a good show being successful and getting great ratings and, yeah, yeah. you know, it's a good thing. It's not bad yeah. having been on both ends of that happen. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, I, I'm going to, I guess, wrap up. I, I had a couple of things I wanted to, to mention just, uh, because of course Marlo Thomas is amazing and you've had the chance to work with so many great people I just wanted to say I'm such a huge fan of Jane Curtin so it was such a lovely surprise for me to discover uh Kate and Allie because oh god Jane is one of the funniest people I ever met in my life you know mm -hmm. she's quick and she's uh, she never I've never seen her go for something and not make it Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people will try something that doesn't work. Jane Curtin has never tried to go for something funny that it it didn't work. Mm -hmm. Did you ever see the first episode of Kate and Allie, her first date? Oh, no, I haven't seen that one. I'll have to uh, hunt it out. Well, it's funny because Jane wasn't sure about the show. Mm -hmm. She wasn't sure about whether she was happy with the comedy or whatever. And and uh, this was about her first date after the divorce. And it was really part of it being so wonderful was that we gave an actor the part of her first date who thanked us because it's how he got his SAG card. He, he needed to do a show. Mm -hmm. And it was Kelsey Grammer. Oh, nice. <laughs> Watch the show. And seriously, mm -hmm. it is... And he is so brilliant. Yeah. But the funny thing, as I said, is Jane wasn't sure about whether she was happy with it. And then after the first scene, where there were a lot of laughs and she was having a good time, she said to Susan, I think this is going to work. You know? <laughs> nice. And most, some of the best fun I've had was like, I would be in a control room directing, you know, you work from a control room. And I spoke to the cast over a loudspeaker, like the voice of God come down. <laughs> and when things were, when we were between scenes or when something would go wrong, we'd have to start again. I would have this dialogue with Jane. I mean, and she, you throw anything at her. And Susan, who mm -hmm. is slyly funny, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Jane is right out there funny. Susan is brilliantly funny and 
I just love them both so much. I mean, I just had my 80th birthday party and they were both there and they were there and, and, and Marlo, of course, mm -hmm. and Kelly Ripper, who is new in my life, who I adore. <laughs> and I mean, to just have the four of them up there together. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like I said, I did good. Yeah. Yeah. It's not bad. Not bad people to have at your, at your birthday party. It's pretty great. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I guess I'll just add, uh, I, I, I've, I've heard the story of George Carlin on, on that girl, uh, however yes. briefly, uh, uh, would you share that? Yes. George Carlin was an actor at the time. This was 1965, but he was wearing suits and string ties. <laughs> he was the most uptight, straight arrow person you ever met. And on the sixth show, he disappeared. He didn't show up. His agent didn't know where he was. No one knew where he was. And then he showed up a year later as the incredible, mm -hmm. outlandish George Carlin. He just exploded one day or imploded and came <laughs> out this whole, uh, whole other person. Good times. I just thought that, yeah, I heard, I'd heard that something about that mentioned uh, in my research. And I thought that was the craziest story. But I guess if you're, you know, if you're around Hollywood long enough, and like, like I said, you just had this ridiculously prolific career over such a long period of time, you're going to have some pretty great stories like that. So well, it's, what's embarrassing is that no matter where I am, someone will mention something. And I'm listening. And but I immediately have something that relates to it because mm -hmm. of the person or something I went through. And I'll tell you, you know, I have this big anti cell phone thing, you know, because mm -hmm. I really think they get in the way. Not in, I mean, in New mm -hmm. York, you're, it's like you have to learn a new way of walking down the street because people are oblivious. The funniest thing I saw is I'm standing on a corner at a red light and this guy comes tearing down the street. And he's on his cell phone, and as he passes me, he says, I'm running late. And I said, yes, that's true. He's running, and I, I guess he's late. But I'll tell this quickly. I had a housekeeper back in 1963. We had just had our first child. And we were going to Danny Thomas's Christmas Eve party, which was where every comedian in the world was. And we had this nurse who was there for like three weeks with us, this 80-year-old woman who had come to Arizona in a covered wagon with her family. She was more American than the American Eagle. I mean, she was. <laughs> and she didn't go for the show business at all. But when we left her, she was watching White Christmas, which is her favorite show. And she was sitting in her chair. And we came home three hours later, and she was still sitting in the chair. The television had kind of buzzed off because it went off the air back then at a certain time. It wasn't on all night. And it was this white, blaring light. And I was sure she was dead. <laughs> and I walked over very cautiously because I didn't want to frighten her if she was asleep or yeah. me if she was dead. <laughs> <laughs> and I just said, Levy, Levy, her name was Levithian. Mm. Levitan. And I said, are you okay? And she kind of opened her eyes in a daze and said, he was here. And the way she said it, I would have thought the baby Jesus. Had <laughs> I said, who, who was here? And she said, Bing. 
And I said, Bing? She said, Bing Crosby. Hmm. And I figured she had fallen asleep watching Bing Crosby and had the sense that he was there. And I said, oh, that's nice. Bing Crosby was here. Hmm. And she said, don't patronize me. <laughs> and she gave me a piece of paper and it said to Levy, thank you and Merry Christmas, Bing Crosby. And I said, well, what happened? She said, the doorbell rang and I went over and I said, who is it? And he said, it's Bing Crosby. And I said, beat it. <laughs> Thinking it was some wise guy. And then he said, no, really, it's Bing Crosby. So I opened the door with the chain on it and he, it was Bing Crosby. He had a flat tire in front of the house and he wanted to use the phone mm. to call someone to pick him up. So he came in and we watched the picture together, <laughs> told me some stories and then when they came to get him, as he was leaving, I said, Mr. Crosby, would you sing White Christmas for me? Oh, and man. he did. Oh. Bing Crosby sang. Now, if Bing Crosby had a phone. Yeah, that wouldn't have happened. Levy Levitan would have never had that incredible moment in her life. And you wonder today, how many times you've been saved by your cell phone? Very few. But <laughs> how many happenstances? or wonder moments were, have been missed because you were too busy talking about nothing. And yeah. I'll leave you with that. Oh. It's been fun talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on. Anytime you want to come back, just let us know. So yeah, that was that was my uh, talk with Mr. Persky. It was a lot of fun, and uh, hopefully we'll get to have some more guests on in the future. Um, and hopefully you can actually join me for one of these. Yeah, the timing was not appropriate, but I'm 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 glad you... I'm glad you were competent. You didn't, <laughs> you did, you didn't embarrass the televerse. Thank you. Um, Hooray. I just hope that I'm 80 and using the future equivalent of Skype because, seriously, that's really cool. Yeah, like blood transfusion communication or whatever the whatever hell. Whatever it is. Whatever freaky stuff we're going to be into by then. Yep. Good time. So that's our show for this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Thanks for listening. Singing good original, singing good original mu- <laughs> Singing good original music. I have a spike on here just from Rico. Rico, come. Or not. No. Okay, we're so close. Okay, um, I'm gonna go get him again. All right. Sorry. <laughs>